little bit chilling how well they align with what we're going to be studying in our text today. So it kind of makes you think maybe God's real. I'm not sure. Sometimes I get there in my place. Oh, maybe he's real. Maybe everything we're spending our lives chasing and pursuing is all real. So uh, I'm going to uh, ask, if you're seeing this video here, um, pay attention to some of the, uh, the statements that they're throwing up on the screen. It'll, it'll um, be familiar to you. This just happened a couple weeks ago with Hurricane Dorian. And what you're seeing is the inside of uh, somebody's home that was just comfortable days before, before the storm arrived. And that's just terrifying. This is your front door and the ocean has arrived. And that is reality at this point for them. And they'll show pictures here of the house and its devastation. But it actually is fairly mild compared to a lot of the other pictures and video I was seeing throughout the week. Um, <clears throat> but a sobering reminder of what that storm really did to real people. And they were living in the part of the world that we all go to vacation or that we uh, flock to because it's considered paradise on earth. Paradise for them in that moment looked like that. And so uh, I'm, I imagine... As we get into our text this morning here in 2 Corinthians 5, I imagine if someone had come to the uh, Bahamians, I think as if I'm saying that correctly, to them and, and made a promise. They said, okay, we're all watching the storm track. We see the way that the, the circle is spinning and it looks like it's coming right over the island. If you were paying attention to what the storm was doing at that point, when it, when it landed over the Bahamas, it literally just sat there as a Category 5 raining down destruction and terror on those islands. And they said, if that track plays out, can you imagine if a promise was made to Bahamians at the time that said, look, a storm's coming. If you sometime check the aerial footage, if you haven't seen it already, it looks like an entire island is just wiped out. That's what it looks like from a lot of the shots. And, and, and if we anticipate that storm's going to do what it says it's going to do, we, we have a deal for you. We want to make you a promise. Um, we know that you are living in what most, in, in an environment that most people around the world envy. A lot of us would love for if somebody told us you just won the sweepstakes, you get a home in the Bahamas. We'd be like, okay, sweet. Okay, make that work. Imagine if, if the people that are there are living in that seemingly perfect environment and then the offer is made i know that it's hard to leave this i know that it promises you a lot and provides for you a lot but we have found and built other places for you to be able to retreat to uh if if the storm does level out your home your neighborhood your area we have places for you to go so as long as the storm does what it says it's going to do we have a place for you to retreat to now, in fact, we're not just putting you down the street. We're not just rebuilding in the same climate. We just feel like because it's important for the psyche and all those things, we want you to feel free and, and, and feel like there's never going to be that threat on your home again. We're going to take you out of the climate. We're going to move you out of there and we're going to put you in a place where you don't have to worry about. There'll be some other trade-offs perhaps, but, but as, as long as you know that terror and destruction won't reach your shore literally again. Now, the stipulation is, is that if the storms go around and don't do what they're going to track and do, we're going to save these places for somebody else who might need them in the future. But if your home is destroyed, 
We have this waiting for you. Now, you can imagine if you're just playing this out on a human level and you're thinking about where would your mind go? It's tough for us to leave home no matter what the circumstances are. It's difficult for us to uproot. I believe that we're created with something that, that, that craves in us a place to call our own, a place to stay, a place to belong. Feels like there's a sitcom uh, song I want to sing right about now from the 80s. Sometimes you want to... That's right. I knew it would come to me. Where everybody knows your name. Like you don't watch TV. Look at you. We don't know what you speak of. So... So we have this thing built within us. We want to call this place home. And so even though somebody's promising us something better, it's hard to leave what we know. Can you understand that? And so even for the folks there that might be earning a a meager existence and and serving all of the wealthy people that are flying to the island to, to enjoy the luxury and the beauty of that, but still to be pulled out of that is you're pulling me from everything I know. There's something to let go of. It's almost, it's a divorce, if you will, from what you are comfortable and familiar with, even though the promise awaits that it's something far better. There's an, a, det- a detachment process that has to, has to happen. This is what Paul started ta- walking us through last week when we were in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, if you start to imagine, if you start to dwell on that which is being promised to you, then letting go of today, not being consumed by everything you see in front of you, it'll be a little bit easier for you to imagine when I arrive. It'll actually, in a strange way, give you hope for going through what you go through today. So imagine this promise to these people. We are going to uproot you before the storm hits. And so as the storm destroys everything you know, we have a place for you to retreat to. Well, that brings us to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Again, interesting that we already heard this phrase in our presentation earlier this morning. Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, Paul's going to talk about tents anyway. He's going to use the analogy of our earthly lives being like a tent because Paul knew something about tents. It's what he built. It's what he repaired. It's what, if Paul lived in this area of the country, in between ministry cycles and things, he'd be like freelancing for L.L. Bean. He knew something about tents. He built them, constructed them, repaired them, did all those kinds of things. And so he knew the limitations of something, of a structure like that. He knew that you're not just going to take a tent and plan to exist in the the Bahamas uh, enduring Hurricane Dorian. He knew that thing's going to get leveled. It's going to get destroyed, taken out. So if we know that, if we know that it's destroyed, we have this promise. Somebody else has built something else for us somewhere else. Not made with human hands. It won't be destroyed again. It is eternal in the heavens. Therefore, Paul continues to encourage us to long for this. We can start to anticipate this. If you're promising this to the the people in the Bahamas and you're saying, look, it's going to, all your needs are going to be provided. It's all going to be taken care of. What at first turned in, what at first began to be this hard divorce. I don't want to walk away from that. What I know, if you start to entertain what's possible, then you start daydreaming about that. You start getting a little giddy. Then you start going, come on, storm. Anytime the track starts changing, no, 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 come back. Somebody's promised me something better. You start to welcome the thing that allows you to get to the other side. Paul says in verse two, for in this tent, we groan, 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we might not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul is telling us to express a confident longing. He says, while we're here in this tent, we start to anticipate, we start to itch, we start to groan and say, when's it coming? When do I get to be released from this in order to experience that? We're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Almost everything about our existence is an expression of this internal groaning, this this longing of when will we be released from this, freed from this. And he uses uh, several very powerful, colorful words in this passage that we just read. We don't have time to break them all down, but suffice it to say, he's saying, we're not being negative about our circumstances. I'm not saying that I'm afraid of being naked and exposed. It's just I know that the clothing is going to be heaped layer upon layer upon layer with what's to come. So I can let go of this in order for the promise of something better to arrive. He says, we're groaning. And we're in good company. He had already told the believers, the Romans, that he said in, in chapter 8, he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. That sounds like us. We are in bondage to its corruption. We, we talked about last week how the body is breaking down, how the old man within us is, is being led off the cliff. He's being, he's being walked to his end. The corruption is playing out daily. And to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You know, we're so caught up in today, as we discussed last week, we're so wrapped up in what we can see that sometimes if we just pulled back and observed creation, we live in a beautiful part of the country, we're able to to observe creation in all of its beauty, but I'm not just talking about trees and lakes and rivers. I'm talking about the movement of that which which moves on the earth and roams around and you will sense and you will see this internal groaning that there's got to be something to free us from this bondage we live in. Paul is saying that creation is waiting to be released, waiting to be in full expression of that which it's been created to express. So we're in good company. It's not just us who are groaning, but creation as well. Paul doubles down in verse 23 on our groaning. He says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are groaning to be released. We are seeing an epidemic in our day and age where people are checking out early. They can't endure the issues of life. They can't make sense of the struggles. They can't uh, process the weight of life that is crashing down on them. We can't be terribly surprised as our culture continues to get more and more me-focused. They're interpreting everything that comes their way as to how does it impact me? How am I supposed to survive this? Why isn't life bowing down to my whims? And so there's a lot of pressure on people 
And it's not just outside the church. We just heard a story of a pretty influential associate pastor. He's in uh, Greg Laurie's church. His name's Jared Wilson out in California. He was uh, an advocate for mental health and suicide prevention and awareness, and he took his own life last week with a young family after just having preached a funeral for someone who had done the same thing. Now, I'll just share with you my heart for a second here because I, I, I do not want to come across as unsympathetic to the struggles and the decisions that people go through. And I, I can't imagine being at the point where that's your only way out. And so there's a part there that I can't relate to and I, and I tread lightly on that understanding. But in the story that, dis, that, that told us about this, uh, this pastor's suicide, Everything used the phrase passed away, passed away, passed away. Now, I use that phrase for someone who has died of natural causes or died of sickness or things like that. We are losing the stigma, and I'm not sure if it's a good thing to lose. We are losing the stigma of those who are taking their own life, who are taking matters into their own hands, who are violating the passage where God says, thou shalt not kill. So that doesn't just mean other people. It means that we're not supposed to kill another human, take matters into our own hands. My heart sympathizes with Jared Wilson and, and all the pain he must have been going through. And I'm, I'm encouraged by the incredible ministry and work that he probably did and the foundation that he laid, which will go on forever, I'm sure. But at the same time, we have to look at this guy's family and say, how could you walk out on them? How could you leave them behind? Now, we have burdens and pressures. We have groanings going on in us, but we also have this thing that's building up within us. So many people that I talk to that are struggling with that are also dealing with such crazy medication things going on in their life that they don't know how to balance it. They don't know how to get... So we also have to be aware when we know people that are talking like this, we have to know what's going on in the chemical side, what's going on in the medication side. I'm side jaunting here, if you'll allow me, because it's something that's just washing up on our shores constantly. And Paul is not saying, I am so ready to be released from this burden because I'm sick of you people. I'm sick of the work God gave me. I'm sick of all the pressures and the testings in my life. He's not saying this from a negative standpoint, that if I could just be released from this, I'd finally be able to breathe. What Paul is saying is, I'm not afraid of being exposed. I'm not afraid of going naked. I'm not afraid of all of those kinds of things. If that's what God's called me to do, but he has promised that I'm going to be clothed layer upon layer upon layer. He has told me that all of creation is suffering and groaning. And that if I put my faith and trust and hope in him one day, we've been talking about this, the weight of suffering will be equally or even exponentially more measured by, on the other side of the coin, the weight of comfort because he's the God of all comfort. We need to hold, toe a hard line on this matter of where people are going for their hope, that, that we have to be bold in understanding that Jesus is the only source of true comfort and rescue. Paul knew this. He wasn't checking out. He wasn't hoping to get dismissed from his work. He found great pleasure, as he just said at the end of chapter 4, that more of my suffering would result in more and more thanksgiving of you folks, and that would mean more and more glory to God. Paul is not negative. He's not depressed or suicidal. He's not desiring for escape for escape's sake. He also tells us in chapter 8 of Romans, 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul's saying we don't even know how to communicate the language of God in a way that doesn't need to be interpreted or filtered or, or translated by the Holy Spirit. And even the spirit groans in such a way that it's too deep for our understanding, too too deep for the words that we can comprehend, that this groaning is happening in creation, it's happening in us, and it's even uh, coming from the Holy Spirit. So that's one of the key parts of what Paul is trying to get them to understand is that this groaning is something that is happening universally, and it needs to be contemplated, it needs to be thought through. Why is that? Because of the guarantee of the Spirit. Verse 5, back in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And Paul's use of the word guarantee would take all of his readers to the understanding of an engagement ring, in a sense, to be that promise of, of the thing, or at least in our culture, that we would you know, put a ring on it, as Beyonce would tell us to do. You guys, well, like you don't know Beyonce. You don't know Cheers and you don't. No, I'm just kidding. It's okay if you don't. It's better if you don't, I dare say. That, that, that the, the Spirit is given to God's people as a promise. If he has come to give us illumination, which the Spirit does, if he has come to convict us of sin, which he does, if he has come to seal us in the promise of salvation, which he has then we know that that is all laying the groundwork for the day that we will be rescued from this mortal coil, that we will, that we will be able to in, engage in our full worship of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the guarantee of the Spirit. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, there have been times when I think we don't desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It's the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, in which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. Paul is saying that we need to practice a confident longing, that it is the thing that should preoccupy us and cause us to dwell on the promise yet to come. I think he would also encourage us to practice a confident attitude. He continues in verse 6. He says, so we're always of good courage. Now, all the things that we know about Paul that we've been discussing for the last several months, the sufferings, the beatings, the rejection from his own people, is Paul just being kind of positive? Is he just speaking things into existence? Or is he telling us the truth? We are always of good courage. He also says in verse, continuing in verse six, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord for we walk by faith. Here's the key and not by sight. Paul is uh, always of good courage. He does have this confident attitude because Paul has chalked a few things up in his mind. He said, I know that my existence while I'm here in this body is to stumble around in a dark room and figure out where the furniture is based on the voice in the room with me that's telling me step to the left, now step forward, that I cannot see everything I'm supposed to see in front of me. I live in a dark existence in a dark kingdom right now. 
but there is a voice that's walking me through and, and helping me tiptoe around the furniture so I'm not always stubbing my toe. Paul's reality was that I need to learn how to live by faith and not by what I see. But he's honest with us. He says, now my preference would be in verse eight. He says, yes, we are of good courage. Like I'm not lying to you. I'm serious. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Am I saying it's fun stumbling into furniture in the dark? Absolutely not. But until I get called up out of here, and it's interesting because Paul's writing and his, some of his statements seem to change because early on in his ministry, he was confident Jesus is coming back. He would say things like some of us won't sleep and all these kinds of things. And then you see his resignation to the fact that I will probably uh, lose, lose my life in pursuit of the glory of God. You see Paul's own shifting of thought of the timing of when Jesus would come back and rescue them from this. And he starts to accept in his heart of hearts that this is my call that I'm going to stumble around through dark rooms while the spirit is guiding me so I'm not tripping on all the furniture, that it's, it, it, I will live by faith and not by sight. But I would rather not have to do that. He told the Philippians, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Again, I love Paul's honesty. Oh, I'll stay here as long as it takes. He had that attitude, but he had no problem saying But as soon as he says it's time to go, I'm running. I'm getting out of here. All of these things inform Paul's attitude. And I think as we finish our our section here, it'd be important for us to live with a confident resolve. This is what Paul has accepted. Don't you think about this from time to time? I, I in in so many things in my own life that I'm just struggling with. Or I'm talking with people who I know what's on the other side, but I just know they're stuck in the the hurricane resting right over their island. And it's not moving on and it's just beating and pummeling them. And you feel so inadequate to say to them, because you know the Lord's promises, you know he's faithful, but you have to say to them, just hang on. It seems so empty. I want to push the clouds away. I want to move the storm longer. Get out of their life. Give them a break. They're, they're being pummeled. And I don't have that power to do that. So instead, what we say to our friends, we say to our, our loved ones or our kids or our parents or everything is like, the Lord will hold you up. He'll, he'll give you strength in the storm. You know, so often the only reason why we don't hang on and the reason why we check out early is because we haven't resolved that this is what we're called to. We haven't accepted it into our heart. We haven't, we haven't owned it in the fact that I have to learn how to live by faith and not by sight. Last week we demonstrated the rope and we said that little end sliver that, that represents the, the, the 60, 70, 80, 90 years or so that we've been given on this earth, that it, it, it is, it is the peace we have to accept because what's coming that we can't see will never end. Paul said that We should live with a confident resolve in so many words. He says in verse 9, So whether we're at home or away, whether I'm in this body or out of it, we make it our aim to please him. One of my favorite phrases from Paul. It's basic. You don't have to work too hard to interpret it. But I love what he's saying to us. He says, whether you you let me stay in this body and keep on working for you or you remove it, that no one will be able to distinguish the difference in my aim that I am so set 
on the glory of God and putting a smile on the face of my Savior that whether I I have to do it still on this earth or I get to do it before his throne in, in glory, it is my aim to please him. So let me ask you a question. How would the current decision or the current choice, the option that you're mulling about in your mind, whatever it is, I don't know all your circumstances, but we're always mulling something over. We're contemplating which way we're going to go with a particular option. How would it really be handled if your only motivation, not just one of the considerations, but truly your only motivation is to do it in such a way that Jesus would be happy with it? Now, if you're like me, you need somebody sometimes to challenge you with that because you're caught up in the storm. You're caught up in the midst of it. I'm just trying to put boards on my windows. I'm just trying to make sure the flood's not coming into my carpets and all that kind of stuff. I don't have time to think about where I'm going to dwell after this whole thing gets leveled. You know, we get so wrapped up in today that sometimes I need somebody to just say, no, wait a second, is this for you or for the Lord? This is what Paul gets to when he gets to verse 10 so that we could live for a future reward. In verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. So, all right, Brent, I'm with you. I was I was enjoying sort of that we get to think about a new land. Someone's promised us a, a home not built with human hands. I totally understand that I should do things to put a smile on Jesus' face. And then you said this phrase, judgment seat of Christ, and now I want Greek. I want explanation. I want corroborating verses. I want to know what this means. What am I getting into when I meet my Savior? What does that mean, judgment seat of Christ? Paul is saying, I want you to be motivated by putting a smile on Jesus' face, but you also should keep in mind, we're going to give account of the works that we have done in this body. And they will be rewarded, whether good or evil. Mm. Now, it would be awfully popular of us to just dismiss this and gloss over it. Don't worry, you guys got nothing to worry about. But in the context of everything Paul's talking about, I want us to look at it this way. Now, we're not talking about a determination of our destiny. Paul is talking to the family of believers here. And he says that all of us who are in Christ, who have been promised that second home after the storm levels the one that we had, that all of us are promised that home, but in between our, our full-on rest there is going to be this mandatory presence at the judgment seat of Christ where we will, uh, perhaps, I'm just speculating, you know, we're carrying in our, our works, the things that we've done while living in this tent, and, and we're placing them on an altar, and then someone's like, okay, you guys ready to light this up? We're going to see what lasts. And then they put a torch on it and... And then what is done with good motives, what is done to please Jesus Christ, Paul is saying that will remain and those rewards stand. And so, so imagine this, we say, okay, so what does that mean that, that we might not, um, well, actually he, he describes it for us in the first letter of Corinthians in chapter three. He gives us a little bit more detail. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. There's our guarantee, but only as through fire. 
So this phrase, he will suffer loss, it concerns me. As, as a human being, as a normal person, I'm going, tell me what to expect here. Judgment seat of Christ. We don't have much time to, to break this all down from a theological perspective, but know this. Paul was not interested in just getting in. Paul wasn't interested in doing what was bare minimum in order to survive an event with his held held high like the judgment seat of Christ. Everything that Paul has been saying to us at this point was that I will give everything I have. I will expel everything in my being for the good of the people that I'm trying to lead, but more importantly, for the glory of my Savior. In other words, Paul isn't too worried about the judgment seat. He doesn't expect it to be an issue. That isn't arrogance on his part, but it's full-on commitment and focus. He says, I don't expect to get there and not have enough to throw on. I don't expect that the stuff that I'm throwing on the altar is all going to burn up. I expect some of it to stick. But here's the, the, the difference in Paul and where, where I often go in my head. Paul knows who Paul used to be. And so Paul knows that all the things that he's putting on the altar couldn't have come from him because everything he offered for his own religious efforts before knowing Christ would have burned up in a second. Paul knows if there's anything left standing on that altar, it's all because of what Jesus did for him. So what he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to go up to the altar after everything's withstood the fire and he's just going to push it back onto Jesus side and say, that was all you anyway. Take it all back. The great and mighty Paul, the one who would be adored by the church for generations to follow. Who cares about any of that? My focus and my motivation was to give it all back to you because you're the only one that gave me or you're the one that gave me any ability to do any of it to begin with. The judgment seat of Christ is going to determine the works that you and I have done in the body based on the motives and who the point of the work was for. So the caution for us is this. Don't just give it. Don't just live enough to get in. This is a, a wrong view of salvation as though somehow I can just do kind of like what our kids do when we're trying to teach them all these disciplines of chores and all those kinds of things. Mom and dad, tell me what the bare minimum is that I won't get in trouble from you. And isn't that the way often it goes? You go and you follow up on their work and it's like they just, well, you didn't say I had to do that too. And you see the maturity change when they start taking ownership and pride in their work and they go a little bit above and beyond. And that's a very proud day for a parent. This is how the Lord's looking at us, is that we often just think, so what's the bare minimum it would take for me to get in? I don't need to be the big glory seeker and putting all these crown, all these uh, awards on the, on the fire and everything. I'll be in the back of the row. I don't care. Just let me get there. This wasn't the way Paul looked at it. Paul said to live for something to present to Christ. It's like being asked to go to a, being invited to a party and you forgot to bring a gift, right? We all love that feeling where everyone's starting to look at what kind of gifts are being given. You're like, oh, I did not step up here. I think that's what we get to when, that, when Paul says that phrase, he will suffer loss if it's all burnt up on the altar. Striving to make Christ pleased with our actions becomes our goal, but it doesn't mean that we'll do everything right. You and I will see one another's flaws, but that isn't what is being judged, is the success of the work. It is the motive and the intent behind the work. So we can learn to long confidently in a home not built by human hands. We use this earthly tent as we endure the storms of life, and as we do that, we'll be giving credit or glory to the one 
who holds us together in the storm and will ultimately point people to an eternal home beyond the, beyond the hurts and the fears of this present weather. So these are the things that we can be praying about. A couple of suggestions for you in your notes this morning if you're looking along and uh, would encourage you to apply those. Would you please stand? Let's close our time in prayer. This is our advanced Sunday this morning, and once a month um, we try to break early if the preacher isn't long-winded. Jerk. Anyway, and uh, we turn things over to a couple of uh, uh, faithful uh, people. So we're going to ask our ladies to stay in this room. Uh, special treat for you. Uh, we are going to be able to hear from Maureen Anderson, and I'm just really excited to, to hear what she has to say and to clean up my mess here from the sermon. And uh, and then also in for the men, you're going to be able to hear from Tim Valentine this morning for just a few minutes. So we encourage you folks to, to make your way out to the hub. If you're a guy, uh, ladies, please stay behind and we'll continue our time together. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for all that you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the, the work that you're doing beyond our borders, Lord, we just pray for the blessing of the people in Ecuador, that the Awa people would would uh, come to a place where they would see how important the leadership is from the next generation, that the work would continue, that the faithfulness of the Bruces would not ever be in vain, that uh, so much, Lord, would happen exponentially as a result of their quiet and steady faithfulness. Bless them in their their rest and in their health in their marriage, in their in every aspect of their life, Lord. Give them peace as your servants for the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them to us to share this incredible ministry. God, thank you for the faithfulness of your people. I pray that you'd show us how we are to live in you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.